hi everybody welcome to the next episode of future focus cxos i have a very special guest with a lot of entrepreneur experience into his bag jordan pace he is the co-founder and ceo of fringe so without further delay let me welcome jordan to the podcast hi jay thank you so much for having me yeah thrilled to be here love talking about all things on just being an entrepreneur the successes the failures the scary things we have to fight through so currently as you said i'm one of the co-founders and the ceo of fringe fringe is a not surprising a fringe benefits or a lifestyle benefits marketplace so we help hr teams deliver benefits that you don't have to be sick or dead or disabled or 65 years old to benefit from That's what we do yeah benefits that actually benefit people like every day that comes from my background so i used to be in financial planning financial advising way back with northwestern mutual but i left there to start my own firm that was called greenhouse money I started that with Jason Murray, who was one of my co-founders of Fringe also. Okay. And we ran that business for a little while. The learnings from that is why Fringe exists today, right? So that's more or less my background. Before financial advising, I was doing some nonprofit work, which was very different than mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur. But finally, that entrepreneurial spirit kind of caught up to me and demanded that I focus in on doing something like this. And I almost feel like I had no choice. I feel like it was just a calling, if you will. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So let me straight jump into it. I'd love to understand your journey of how Prince started. Sure. Yeah. So being in financial planning or financial advising, whatever term you prefer, I was working with mostly kind of Gen X and Gen Y. So people mm -hmm. that were at the time probably no older than 50 and as young as 22, coming okay. out of college, first job. Why does a financial advisor work with a 22-year-old? They don't have any money, right? No, they don't, <laughs> but they do have an income. And these days, some of them have a very nice income, fresh out of college, oh, yeah. Yeah. and no clue how to manage money. And so we would spend a lot of time helping them budget, helping them learn how to invest and all these sorts of things. And I expected people to be bad at budgeting. I expected people to be bad at investing. I didn't expect that they would be as uninformed as they are about their benefits. So I would be talking to a business owner, a young business owner who's hiring people. They're trying to provide benefits. They know the concept. They're like, I think I need some insurances of some kind. <laughs> they're trying to figure this stuff out. Or maybe someone was switching jobs and they're trying to weigh one option versus the other and assess the benefits. So I found myself spending a lot of time explaining traditional benefits to people, which I thought would elicit some interest and some gratitude from them. They go, oh, wow, that employer really takes care of their people. But that was not the reaction at all. They were just bored. <laughs> I, I had a hard time getting people to stay awake for my entire explanation of what their insurance policy did and meant. And I think what I discovered is that not only did people not understand their benefits, but because they don't understand them, they often don't really appreciate them. They don't really get to that place where they go, oh, wow, I have such a generous employer. I should be grateful. It's more mm -hmm. like, it's a status quo. You give me health insurance, you give me life insurance. So does everybody else. Who cares? So those conversations, those reactions sparked an idea in my mind that, mm -hmm. hey, if companies are paying a lot of money, to produce a very small amount of what I would call perceived value, 
with the employee, right? Which is the whole point. We're trying to engender yeah. loyalty and goodwill from employees. That's why we're giving mm -hmm. benefits, right? Mm -hmm. But we're not getting the goodwill and the loyalty that we want. We're getting a very small amount of appreciation. What if there were benefits that we could give employees at a relatively small cost that have a large perceived value, right? That was the concept. I was trying to flip the paradigm on its head. And okay. so we started with the question, if benefits didn't exist, at all. How would we define benefits? If we had no concept of insurances and anything like that, how would we define it? And what we came up with was I would want my employer to give me services that meet needs in my life right now. Child care, elder care services, the music that I listen to, the TV shows that I stream, the DoorDash that I wanted to get delivered to the office for lunch, just the stuff in my life that makes life easier gives me time back in my day, maybe impacts my family in some positive mm -hmm. way. And so that's where the idea of fringe came about. Wow. And what would you call that? I would call that lifestyle benefits. And so we coined that term and we mm -hmm. just went down this road and it's turned into a pretty cool business where people hear about it and they go, oh, I've never even thought about that before. That's a cool way to think about benefits, right? And we're not replacing life insurance and health insurance. That stuff is that's always yeah. going to be in place unless there's some universal healthcare that comes mm -hmm. along. But it's something that you can spend not a lot of money on and really get really big wins with your people. And so it's been just a joy to run this business. Oh, and I love this, man. And I relate to it so much because I'm running the company for seven years. And how much I know about these benefits, except these two, what you just said. Can I give right. a life insurance? Can I give an unlimited vacation? Two or three yeah. things which people are so busy in startup that they hardly think about taking right. an unlimited vacation, right? Yeah. It might work for big companies like Google's, but it doesn't work definitely for startups, right? So I absolutely get it. The question that comes to my mind is entrepreneurship is not an easy journey, right? And in your case, you started with one venture. It didn't go as planned as you thought it will, but then you jumped into the second one. It is mm -hmm. like a miraculous act, right? Anybody would do, in my opinion, but you didn't do that. Yeah. I had someone say to me, there's a man here in Richmond, Virginia, and I probably won't share his name because of what his profession is, but he's an attorney. He's mm -hmm. been doing it like 40 years. And I got the chance to meet with him for about 30 minutes one time. And he said, Jordan, do you know what I've learned about entrepreneurs and all the years that I've been working with people like you? And I said, what? And he said, you're actually not as risk tolerant as you think you are. You're not actually mm -hmm. the biggest risk taker in the room. Your thing is you think it's riskier to work for somebody else than it is to work for yourself. You see more risk in having a boss oh, than yeah. oh, going yeah. in Tell alone. And all Tell me about it. Could you I'm ever so have a boss so again? Much. Oh my God. I want to right. meet this guy, man. This is like, Yeah, I know. I'm like, it just blew my mind. I was just like, oh, I thought I was just really courageous. I thought I'd just overcome fear yeah. really well. But really, my fear is having a boss. So I just went this other direction. And I thought it was funny. But being in Greenhouse Money and running that with Jason, it actually was going pretty well. It's just, mm -hmm. but once the idea of Fringe came into my mind, I couldn't let it go. I was like, I'm running a financial advisory, which is an honorable thing to do. You can do that business. You can make a lot of money doing that business. And you can even sell it for maybe two or two and a half X someday. It's not a bad business to run, but the idea was so much bigger. I couldn't sit there and do this business while this one that could be a hundred times larger is just staring me in the face. And at first we tried to do both. We tried to do oh, both course. things. 
And of course, because you don't want to let go of the thing that's like bringing in the bread at the moment, right, for the next thing. And but after about a year and we started fundraising and all of that, and we had a little bit of money in the bank, I, I let the other one go, both because we didn't totally need it, which would have been nice to have the income. Don't get me wrong. But also I started to feel bad because it's a client facing business. They're supposed to get FaceTime with me and get advice from me. And I felt that advice slipping as my focus was slipping. So even just from a standpoint of integrity, I just felt, I don't know that I should be getting paid as much as I am for a lesser service or what's becoming a lesser service. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we wrapped it up and focused on fringe, but I couldn't let the idea go. It was just like, this is the thing that's going to take me to places that I never dreamed I could go. I have to pursue it. Yeah. yeah so if I, I paraphrase it, you were trying to solve a problem while solving that problem, you realize there is a bigger problem out there, but I completely relate because at the age of 45, I left a corporate job and started my company. So it's so yeah. hard to let go your salary yeah. slip. It's so hard uh, to even let go a revenue stream, saying that this is not what I want to do. But guess what? It's bringing in revenue. It's paying my employees. I have to run payroll every day, yeah. every month. So I completely get that. But you're absolutely right. I think I love what you just said, saying that we are not high risk takers as everybody thinks about mm -hmm. us. We are actually a low risk takers, but we believe in ourselves more. Yeah. Right? Totally. Absolutely yeah, good. So a follow-up question I would have is, do you mind summarizing as an entrepreneur? I think it would be really uh, good learning for us. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. One, a partner is way different than an employee. So when I think about hiring employees, I think about a couple of things. I think about their talent. I think about their cultural fit with the company, which is really just a values fit is what I mean by that. Do we share some similar core values and could they read our values document and go, yes, I believe in that. Those are the two big things, the talent and the culture to the values. When you think about a partner, you need the culture fit. You need the talent and you need a whole lot of trust. You don't need to trust your employee the day they walk in the door. It's okay that you don't, right? They might earn your trust over time. You might become best friends. They might be your partner someday. You don't know, but you don't need that to hire them. I have four co-founders with me. So wow. it takes an enormous amount of trust in them to go, I'm going to run my side of the business. You're going to run your side of the business. You're going to speak to the board sometimes when I'm not speaking to them. You're going to speak to investors when I'm not speaking to them. You're going to represent us to giant partners. There's so much trust involved in partnership that I'd say for most people that get into business, yeah, I don't know the statistics, but I would guess that there are more two founder, three founder than there are single founder companies. Because most people just, they know, like me, I know very clearly, I do not have all the skill sets necessary. So I recruited partners even before we formed the LLC and got started. So that's been a huge learning. I think I would attribute a ton of the success of this company to the depth of trust that we all have in each other, how well that's gone. And mm. we've been through some hard things. We had to lay off people this year. Mm. It was awful. It was painful. But the way it ended was not with finger pointing, not with infighting, not with bickering, mm. but with just total understanding and total cooperation among the founders, which in turn meant that the kind of cultural effect of that on our company was more trust, more communication. It actually was a very positive thing for our company, as opposed to it could have been incredibly ugly, right? So a piece of advice I would give is you're going to go into business with somebody, you should trust them 
about as much as you trust your spouse or the person that watches your kids or whatever the case may be, because they're going to make decisions alongside you or even sometimes on your behalf that are going to seriously impact your life. So that's been a huge learning. Talk something more about the culture. Yeah. So actually, Jay, it's a perfect question because I mentioned earlier this feeling of I don't want to have a boss. I don't want to have anybody telling me exactly what I got to do, where I got to be at what time and this and that. So I lead that way. I lead as if everyone doesn't want a boss. <laughs> like you could tell in our culture, it's not just unlimited PTO. We do that, but it's unlimited PTO and you need to take at least two weeks and I'm going to track it and make sure that you take two weeks because you need to rest and family comes first, not work and work wherever you want, like flexible schedule, flexible everything. And we operate on trust because we're remote first. We have a little clubhouse here in Richmond, but people can opt to work here or not totally at their discretion. But what that means is when you lead people that way, they have to have the maturity to handle it. And not everybody does. And I'd say the majority of the people that have come here and left, they actually couldn't handle the freedom. That freedom, they didn't have the maturity to make all the right decisions within the freedom yeah, they were given. And that's something just stylistically that I've learned about myself. I operate on trust. So I'm going to bring somebody in. And if they've got the maturity to handle that, great. It's going to be a, such a good fit for them. And if they don't, they're not going to last. You don't really have a choice but to lead out of who you are, out of your personality. Your Absolutely. business is going to reflect you like a mirror in positively and negatively. Like some of the things that I've noticed about our business recently that are flaws in our business, they are exactly my flaws. Like, for example, growing up, I had a mom, like many do, who praised me for everything that I did. Thought that I was the best player on the baseball team, the best singer in the choir, the best <laughs> kid in the class, right? Just mom, just <laughs> loving her boy and thinking that he's the most special thing that ever lived. And so I didn't really believe her when she gave me that praise. It was just like, you say that about everything. That feels empty, right? Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. I love you and you're my mom and that's cute that you want to praise me, but I don't actually trust that. And my dad was somewhat the opposite, right? He would go sing a solo and there's a few notes that weren't quite right. Like he's going to give you a <laughs> critique. So I actually appreciated that more because I felt like it helped me get better. And so my whole point in saying that is I turned into a person that's not very good at praising other people for what they do mm -hmm. because it feels empty to me. It feels like I'm just saying it to say it and they're not going to take it as something genuine because and so as a result our company i would say we're a little bit weak on recognition we're a little bit weak on making sure that people get reviews and that they know now we do a good job with public praise we get together on fridays everybody together and people do shout outs and stuff like that and people that are better than me at it will do a really nice job but it's just fine that's just one example of there's a flaw in me as a result of how i grew up and that flaw is reflected directly in the business. And I could probably name three or four more, but that's the weird thing about being a CEO. You just get this mirror staring back at you all the time. Your business is a mirror, right? Of yeah. your habits, of your flaws, of your good things, right? We get yeah. business because we are good at something. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, we're strong where I'm strong as well, which is awesome. But yeah, I would encourage anyone that can stomach it to start a business because you'll learn so much about yourself that I'm not sure you could learn another way. Maybe through a lot of counseling or whatever, there's other options, but I've learned so much about me from just looking in the mirror that we call the business. So if I yeah. want to 
summarize it, you said, if you have a partner, and most of the companies do, 100% trust is paramount. Without that partnership is not going to work out. Second is with employees, you say, start with trust, create Mm -hmm. an environment where if people are able to work and express and leverage that trust instead of betraying it, they stay with you, right? Otherwise, they are just not the right fit. Yeah. So you're creating a culture of trust. I often use the tagline, we only hire grownups. And what <laughs> I mean by that is not you have to be 30. It's not an age thing. It's a maturity thing. And I know 22-year-olds that are far more mature than some 45-year-olds. You oh, know, yeah. able to handle their own business, not have anybody looking over their shoulder because we're in a remote culture now. You got to be a grown-up. So to summarize it even further. Yeah, yeah. And the last, I think, third thing, what you very importantly said is how the business is going is a mirror of who you are, right? Not just you, but all the co-founders and partners and even Mm -hmm. the senior people in the company, right? It's a reflection of that. So you should, time to time, when you see a good thing happening, you should see why it is happening. At the same Mm -hmm. time, when there are flaws in the business, you know where they are coming from because you're mm-hmm. standing in front of a mirror and you're not saying it is somebody else's fault. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's totally. a great learning for an entrepreneur. If you keep these three things in mind, Jordan, I'm sure it's a great start. It's a good start. It's a really good start. I think I could add to that. Those would be off the cuff, the things I would really focus on for sure. Mm-hmm. I want to switch the gears a little bit uh, sure. towards how our industry works, right? You're in the yeah. fintech industry right? Most of our viewers are tech folks, right? And what I've realized is in a tech industry, there are a lot of these new waves keep coming, right? Yes. Uh, and people try to catch on and they say, this is the next big thing now, right? Chat GPT, yeah. you know, this is the big thing now, yeah. right? Generative AI, oh, this is the big thing now, right? The question really to you is, and I actually face the same problem, so I'm going to ask you in a very different way. The question to you, how do you really uh, leverage these trends at the same time, not fall in a trap of running behind the shiny object? How do you balance that? Yes. It's so funny you would say it that way. I think entrepreneurs struggle more than even CEOs that have been hired in or worked their way up to that title, right? They're, they're probably different personality types, I would guess, right? Founders are the type of people who don't want to follow the status quo, who want to invent new things, right? And so these waves, these manic waves of like, how are we using AI? How are we using this? How are we using the next thing? And then the questions start flooding in. And honestly, I find it annoying. I'm like, who cares what other people are doing? We're our own company with our own goals. So I actually am going to fall on this side of not following the trend at all, so much so that I have to have people around me to convince me to go, hey, you know what? I hear you, but there's a trend here that actually could really help our business. And here's how. And I'm like, okay, I'm listening. But <laughs> I always tell people, like, don't come at me with a best practices argument. I'm going to hear best practices and I'm going to check out because I'm thinking whatever they think is the best, we can do it better. I want to invent. I want to get the next thing figured out. I want to lead the trend. I don't want to follow the trend because that's my personality. But like I said, that's why it's so useful to have such a diverse group of people in a company with different personalities, different backgrounds, different ages, different generations, because there's wisdom. There's wisdom in somebody that's 55 that Mm -hmm. the 22-year-old that's been using chat GBT since the day it came out doesn't have, right? There's stuff that worked 30 years ago that will absolutely work now, 
but everyone else has forgotten. But it, it's mm-hmm. tested and tried and timeless and it's good, right? And then you also have to listen to that 22-year-old that's, guys, you're living in the past. Your process is eight steps long and it could be two if you just use this piece of software and you got to listen to them. They know the new stuff, right? And I'm not sure which side I fall on anymore. <laughs> I feel stuck in the middle. But if I were to add another thing to the list of kind of CEO traits or founder traits, mm-hmm. listen. And that doesn't mean do everything that people tell you. It definitely does not mean that. But you need to listen to the most junior person in your company and the most senior person in your company <laughs> and everybody in between, because sometimes it's that intern at 19 years old that has the idea that's going to change your business and therefore change your life. And so I absolutely track the trends, pay attention to all the digital transformation, use what you can that is actually helpful to you, but don't stuff digital transformation into your business just so that your marketing looks better or just so that VCs are more interested in talking to you. You're not running your business for them. You're not trying to get to the cool kids table. This isn't middle school. Like, do what's (laughs) practical and useful. You got me on a soapbox there, Jay. This is a real incident that happened a couple of weeks back with me. What we do, we are extremely good at the core. We were presenting something. It was truly a digital transformation that they wanted. They tried it twice. They failed. Think about right. it. And now I am in the room. So they have so much skepticism. They were continuously right. throwing this word of best practices, industry best practices, this, yeah. that. Show us what you are going to do, right? Tell me, right? And I was like you, trying to say the same thing, saying that you don't want to follow best practice, right? You want to lead because what works for your company, that best practice may not even work for your company. Yes, there are certain best practices based on your industry. I'm not saying no. But yeah. will they work? I don't know. So let's bring them in and create a process that you can lead with. Yes. Right? It was so right. hard, right? But then suddenly one guy stood up and said to me, you guys are very good at core, right? What are you doing in AI? Mm. Now, AI is a big thing out there, right? There's yeah. no AI mentioned on my website per se, right? Or in our pitch. Because what we do is, like you said, the core to your business. And I can really get you to lead to cash from three months to six weeks. Do you want that or do you want yes. that? Yes, we do want that. <laughs> yeah, right. As you said, 30 years back, what core work as yeah. a sales process still works today. Whether you yeah. talk about medic process, you talk about any sales process, you talk about yeah. any Einstein-led right. recommendations, but the core yeah. still works the same. Right? Totally. I think the problem is we get a new toy or a new tool and we want to use it for everything. It's like a contractor got a new hammer today and the job is to cut down trees. You shouldn't use the hammer. You should pull out the old rusty saw. I don't care if it's old. It's the right tool for the job. And and that's what I see happening is, oh, there's a new shiny tool. How can we use it? And I'm like, that's the wrong question. You should have problems and then you should seek tools that will solve the problems. And if you happen to find the new shiny AI tool and that's the thing, then great. But don't create problems just because you have a new shiny tool you want to use. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That leads me to the next question. You guys are also thinking of raising funds or have raised funds. We have. Now, when you go to that kind of people, they are all riding on these so-called waves. They live for it, Jay. They live for the waves. They live for the hype train. It's unbelievable. (laughs) So now tell me that you advise saying that don't go behind the trend. Unless somebody comes and convinces you. Have right. a diverse team so that experience from 22-year-old to a 55-year-old can leverage. Listen to everybody. 
right? Mm-hmm. But unless you are not convinced that how this piece of wave, so-called, is going to really help us get better or give us tangible benefits to our customers, walk away from it, right? right. Don't right. spend too much time on that because time is the most limited asset we have end of the day right. for every one of us, right? right? They're very good then. But when it comes to these investors, then how do you go there? I just want to open the question. It is really hard. So what I would say is the only way to do it with integrity, and what I mean by integrity, like being the same person all the time, having the same opinion all the time, no matter who you're sitting in front of, right? If you want to be a person that is actually just genuinely you, there's only going to be a handful of VCs that actually get your business and actually get you and are mm-hmm. not going to try to turn you into something that you're not. Because they have the trends, they have quotas. So there's some <laughs> partner out telling them, you need a company that's in this specific sector. And so they're going to email you and say, we're looking for something in this specific sector. And the temptation is to go, yeah, that's us. Yeah, totally. That's totally us. Even though it's not. Right. Because you just want to get a meeting. You just want to try to get a check. Mm -hmm. But you got to resist the temptation and do the hard work of, I would say, interviewing. Interview 100 different VC firms. Don't let them interview you. You interview them. Right. Because technically, they need you more than you need them. They're sitting on a pile of money and somebody told them, go invest it in startups. They literally (laughs) must invest the money. Right. Whereas, Mm You don't actually need to raise money. You don't have to do it. There are other ways you can go make revenue. You can grow slowly. You've got options, right? So find a partner that gets you, that's investing in you, right? Mm -hmm. They think that you're onto something special. They love your idea. They love your personality, your leadership style, all of that. And they're not going, hey, so what are you doing for AI in 2024? And then you're making stuff up. Just don't do it. <laughs> don't get in bed with these people. There's, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not doing anything wrong. It's just they have different incentives. It's not a match. They yeah. have a job right. to do, and you yeah. have a job to do. And if those things don't match, they're going to be sitting on your board for the next three, four, five years, <laughs> driving you crazy. <laughs> so you hired a boss, right? Again, which you did want. Yeah. Yeah, you're hiring your own boss. You should probably choose wisely. (laughs) So, yeah. And I say that now that I'm past a few rounds and I'm at the Series A and we've thankfully landed really great partners. But man, there was so much temptation early on to just like anybody with a checkbook. It's just, let's talk. (laughs) So I learned one thing, which is, I think, kind of thing you're saying, but I want to say it. So get your insight onto it is don't get dumb money. Dumb money is going to be a baggage more than yeah. an accelerator, right? Like carrying 100 tons of fuel in the car, yeah. right? Saying that oh, I'm going to run out of fuel. Now, how yeah. fast are you going to go? And you're going to really run out of it because you're carrying such a huge baggage. Right? Yeah, I would only say it really depends on whether or not those people are going to have any real say in your company, right? If they're going to be on your board, absolutely don't take dumb money. If it's a friends and family round yeah. early on, whatever. They're not on the board. They don't have influence. You're taking small checks. Totally fine. But yeah, anything beyond that, absolutely. You got to take the most strategic, smart money that you can. And I would say that same concept around trust, talent, culture fit, you need to apply those things to investors as so well. So interview the VC firms. Right. Yeah. What would be the three to five things you would like 
to interview them about. Yeah. So one would be the goal of their fund. So mm -hmm. what people don't realize, they think that VCs are just sitting on one pile of money. They're actually sitting on several piles of money and they divide them into funds, much like a mutual fund company will create a fund. And that fund has a goal. It has a prospectus that will say, we're going to invest in exactly this and that. This is the range of check sizes that we're going to write. And there's a maturity of that fund. There's a date, five years out, seven years out, 10 years out, 15, depends where they are expected to cash out, right? Mm -hmm. So this is one thing I had no idea before I started. And so what you'll find is if somebody's in a fund that's say in their seventh year out of 10 and they're investing in you, they're expecting to get paid back within three years, right? If they're in year one of a 10 year fund, they're gonna leave you alone. Hey, you know what? Just grow, just do your thing. We're here for you, we'll support you. But the minute they start to feel nervous about needing to cash oh, out, yeah. the incentives are not gonna be aligned anymore. Maybe they might happen to be aligned because you happen to be ready to sell. But if you're not, you're going to have somebody yeah, push you to a sale when you're anywhere close to ready. Again, I got lucky on that front. We signed with people that I didn't even ask those questions. I didn't know. I was just like, I like you. You seem to like me. You seem smart. You've got good values and good connections. Let's do it. And I just happened to land into the beginning of 10-year funds with all of these investors. I got lucky with that first wave. After the first wave, I knew what to look for. But there's no school for this. It's not like somebody's going to tell you that when you form your LLC with the state and they're like, hey, here's a book of how to run a VC-backed startup. I wish there is one. You couldn't so write it down in a million pages anyway. So there's no point in producing a book. Nobody would have time to read it. <laughs> so that is what you want to understand from them. What funds they have, time period of yeah. that fund. Investment criteria is another thing I would ask. Like, how do you choose what you invest in? And some will say, especially early stage, and this is my favorite answer, we invest in founders. It's our perception of your potential. That's what we're investing in, right? That's what you want to hear. Because if it's, oh, we just love the product that you built, then guess what thought's going to go through their head four years from now when you have your first argument with them, when you have your first fight? They're going to say, we don't need him in order to get the product. Oh, we don't need yeah. her, right? So you want somebody that is about you. That's what they're investing in. And they believe that you are going to guide the company to the promised land, so to speak. And that's why they're investing. Otherwise, you're going to seem expendable someday. That's a scary thought when it's like, I started the business, <laughs> but they're buying up shares, right? We see so many movies and series where founders mm -hmm. are been out and where they are backstabbed or the company just works out just because everybody believed in the founder and he really yeah. made decisions which rationally did not make any sense absolutely right. did not make any sense but it is that gut and belief thing that's yeah. why i'm going to do it right yeah. i believe it's a great advice uh, there are so many other things i want to ask uh, in interest of time i want to really move to a very important question to you right because where you have reached, I'm sure you have not reached on your own, right? There are a lot of mentors that play a significant role in our life. We always struggle for getting good mentors. It is an ongoing process. I have realized there is no one person uh, who I can call mentor. There are people who can I call mentors. And this PXO Focus podcast is of a mentorship to me. What am I doing? What am I doing right now? Tomorrow, if yeah. I go for fundraising... Guess who told me how to interview them? You became my mentor, right? Your journey about this mentorship and your insights on how one should really go there. 
Yeah, I could talk about a couple of different categories of people. One would be the people that I think just made me who I am. People that may or may not have even run a business, but they've been working with people their whole lives. And they understand how people work, how they make decisions, how they're motivated, who you can trust and what character looks like, right? I can look at somebody like my mom, for example, who's sadly no longer living, but she had insights on how people work, how they function, what makes them tick. She taught me that throughout my whole childhood, adolescence, everything. And so I think I just have a really good bead on people. And I attribute a ton of that to her. And more modernly speaking, today, like I said, I'm really fortunate to have four co-founders, right? And these are guys that are going through pretty much exactly what I'm going through. They don't have that extra CEO burden, right? But they are founders. They are heads of departments. They've got some of that spotlight on them. And the they have equal say, right? It's not like because you have a title, you have a higher say. It never yeah. happens that way in partner. These peers are also my mentors. Whatever I share with them about what I'm going through with work or family, or 99% of the time they're like, oh yeah, I'm right there with you. I feel that, or I did feel that, or I had that challenge or whatever the case may be, which has been pretty cool. And then I'd say the other would actually be one of our investors. We got an early investment from a group called Sovereign's Capital, and they just really care about the founders. In a genuine way, you can tell it's more than just, hey, this is a strategy. Like, we're going to care for them. We're going to show compassion and empathy because they're going to do us a favor at the next round. It's not that. they. Mm -hmm. I, there might be some of that in there. I'm sure that is a good strategy. But I can just tell these are people that, like, remember my wife's name. They know how many mm -hmm. children I have. Like, I'm a person to them. I'm not just something in their portfolio. And I'm not saying I'm not to other investors. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's so apparent and so obvious in my relationship with those guys. And as a result, I've opened up to them. I've been vulnerable with them. I've asked questions that I would not ask another investor because I don't want them to know that I don't know the answer already. But these are people <laughs> that I can be weak around, so to speak. I can be flawed and they will help mentor, provide people. Hey, you should meet this guy. You should meet this girl. You should. And they've acted as a mentor in these last few years. And that's been incredible. But honestly, I'm still looking too. I'm looking for, especially somebody that's been exactly in my role. They've done it. They've been through the struggles and they can just, even if there's no advice, even if they could just relate and just, I've been there, I know that, that's almost enough. Like sometimes. So I have realized is exactly what you say. I keep yeah. finding that person. And mm -hmm. in my opinion now, seven years of my journey and search, I don't think that person exists, to be honest mm -hmm. with you, right? Uh, there are pieces of that person exist in multiple places. But that one single person, I don't think that exists. And also one part of advice I learned is that you don't expect an answer. You right. expect a way to get an answer. Because answer is within you, right? Is within your surroundings. That person yeah. is an outside person, right? And once I realized that my outlook towards mentors completely changed. I want somebody who has done it, been there. Have you done this company? Have you exited? Then I respect you. But it turns out it's not that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Just a way to get an answer. It's enough to get you unstuck. Unstuck. That's the right yeah. word. Yes. Can they get yeah. you unstuck? A great conversation on mentorship. But I have two more questions for you. I don't want to miss any question with you. The next question, which will relate to a lot of not just founder CEOs, but also the CEOs is what 
guiding principles do you use in a decision making? Because no decision is good and bad. Time will tell you, right? How do you make a decision? Yeah. So specifically on decision making and kind of direction and so forth, you probably can tell I'm very people oriented. And so I'm always thinking about stakeholders. So when we got to make a decision, I think, how is this going to impact our customers, mm -hmm. our users, us as a company, our investors, right? I just go down the list. And what I've observed is that depending on where you sit in the company, your opinion of who that most important stakeholder is, is different. If you're a salesperson, okay. the most important person is the next prospect. If you're customer success, it's the customers, right? If you're in partnerships, it's probably the brands that are on the fringe marketplace and so forth. I've noticed that I'm the only person that's worried about fringe, right? I have to make fringe the number one stakeholder, right? Mm -hmm. Because nobody else will do it. Everyone else is trying to serve the people that we've tasked them to serve, which is the right thing to do, right? I'm glad that they have those opinions. I'm glad that they're prioritizing them and not us. That's what I want as an ethos of the company. But I've also noticed that if no one's paying attention to what's best for us, then some decisions get made that actually are really bad for us. And it's that you need to put your oxygen mask on before you assist others situation. Well, we got to breathe and we got to be here in order to serve these people. So we're going to have to make some decisions that help us exist. And then we can help everybody else. I'm going to use that, okay? Wear yeah. your mask first before you help others. I need to believe. Yeah, I think people sometimes misinterpret that as all you care about is the bottom line. No, it's not all I care about. But if it's not healthy, nothing else exists. Not your job, not my job, not the clients that get served by what we do. Yeah. Nothing happens unless the business is healthy. I've just discovered I'm really the person that's chiefly thinking about that. Wow, man, that is such a nice guiding principle. I'm going to use it Jordan, with your permission. And oh, sure. I didn't create that phrase anyway. That's <laughs> something the airlines tell you. No, but you used it in such a way that yeah. it, it changed my whole perception about some decisions we make, we don't feel good about them, right? Mm -hmm. But we say, oh, I have to make it because uh, otherwise this company is not going to survive. Asking some people to go or changing some priorities of where we invest or changing the budgets, what we do. We take those decisions. You're very right. Thinking about fringe or thinking about bolt first, because that's the body everybody's feeding out of. So that brings me to the last and very important thing, Jordan. Some advice to aspiring entrepreneurs, to people who are in entrepreneurship and especially people who are also looking to grow, right? Be more people-oriented, create a very cohesive culture, right? Collaborative culture is what I talk about always in my company. One person is not going to know everything, but as a mm -hmm. team, we can solve any problem. What advice would you give to these aspiring yeah. entrepreneurs? Hopefully this doesn't come off harsh, but I would say heroes are for children. And let me flesh that out. When we're kids, we're not adults. We're not grown. We don't know who we are. We don't know what our skills are. We don't know where we're going in life. And so we aspire to be someone else. We aspire yes. to be Batman or Thor, Wonder mm -hmm. Woman, or whatever the case we have yeah. here, or grandpa, or something very personal. And that's okay. That's okay for a child. But when you're an adult, you're the hero. 
So what I would say is stop trying to be other people. Stop reading every single thing that Elon Musk tweets. Stop looking <laughs> at everything, the workout that Mark Zuckerberg's doing or how successful Steve Jobs was or his quotes or this and that. It's creating some sort of false, almost religion in your mind of, I just need to be that. You yeah, don't need yeah. to be, that's my biggest piece of advice. You are already something. You're already made with skills, talents, abilities, and experiences that nobody else has. Stop trying to be someone else and just be you. Start a business that you're passionate about and run it the way that you think it should be run. Find partners that agree with you. Find investors that like your style. Don't change for them. Just be you. And I'm not saying be self-centered and not care about others of course you should value their uniqueness as well and you should have empathy for them as well but have empathy for yourself and stop trying to be zuckerberg you're not zuckerberg and that doesn't mean <laughs> that you're not good enough you might be more successful than him right there's a chance right even if you were you couldn't do it exactly the way he did it that's the biggest thing that i see all the time i see people just constantly quoting other people's stuff, reading other people's books, listening to other people's podcasts. Nothing wrong with that. You can learn from all that stuff. But if you're doing it from a standpoint of you're trying to be them, you're yeah. going to fail and crash hard and you're going to lose your sense of identity on top of it. Don't do that. Be a true entrepreneur. Be a true original and just do it your way. Thank you. Such nice advice. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I really love you for that. Thank you so much, Jason, for spending mm -hmm. your valuable one hour. I know time is the most restrictive asset we got. So I genuinely loved talking to you. 